morning. So good to see all of you here this morning. And um, if you're looking for a seat, I do still see a few on the edges here. Um, and uh, if you have a seat in between you, you may um, just scoot in a bit uh, to help us make room for any um, folks coming in a little bit late this morning. Um, so great to see you to worship together. My name is Ryan. One of the pastors here at City Church, and uh, we are uh, studying the book of Acts right now. If uh, you are a guest with us this morning, this is your first time, uh, you're not too far behind, which is good news for you. You can catch up. Um, we are, <clears throat> excuse me, in Acts chapter 2. We're kicking off Acts chapter 2, and so you can go back to um, our website, anywhere you might find a podcast. You can catch up on the first two weeks of our series, uh, studying the book of Acts. It's our practice here at City Church to just work our way through books of the Bible primarily. Every now and again, we deviate from that just for brief moments in time, but for the most part, you can know we're just going to plot along, and so even um, if you would like to study ahead and sort of prepare your hearts for worship, um, just know that where I stop today in verse 13, I will pick up next week in verse 14, um, and we'll just continue that uh, until Christ returns. Um, maybe we'll get through the book of Acts uh, before then, <clears throat> but um, as we've studied this book, uh, what excites me about the book of Acts and why uh, I wanted to spend this time looking at the book of Acts was to remind our hearts, it reminds me and uh, gives me a great joy to be reminded of the fact that what God began here in the early church as uh, Jesus hands off the baton, sort of passes the baton as we described a couple weeks ago from himself, he passes the baton to the Holy Spirit to continue his work of building the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God would reach the ends of the earth and that same Holy Spirit, the same God who was at work in these early days that we see, and we're going to read these stories, these historically true and factual events, that same God is still at work even today. We see testimonies of that all around us, in our own lives, in the life of this church, um, but it is good to be reminded of those things, to be reminded that God is still here. Sometimes I think, and it feels like for even me personally, we can be tempted to start, sort of begin to think, Maybe he's done. Maybe, he, maybe, maybe he's not at work any longer. Um, and this is, uh, as we study this book, I pray we'll be reminded um, that he is still at work. And we left off last week at the end of chapter one where the apostles and this gathering of saints, these followers of Jesus, are in the upper room. At least 120 of them, probably a little bit more than that actually, are gathered up and Jesus has told them, you go there, I'm going to the Father, you wait for me to send my spirit. My Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come and when the Holy Spirit it comes then you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth they've replaced Judas with Matthias and they went through that we talked about that last week and now they are here again waiting and so that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 2 if you're able please stand as I read from Acts chapter 2 um, we're standing out of reverence for God's word <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost arrived they were all together in one place and suddenly they, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome? both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. 
We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. Holy Spirit, we ask that as you are present with us this morning, you would um, help us to understand who you are and what you are doing in our midst. We thank you for the testimony recorded for us of when you came and you filled these apostles and through your power they did go to the ends of the earth so that those of us here gathered in a little town in Melissa, Texas could be called Christ followers. That is because of your work throughout history. We're grateful for that. We're grateful that we could be called sons and daughters of God because you have revealed the Messiah. You have revealed Jesus to us. I do pray that we would know your work and anyone in this room who is unfamiliar with that Jesus, perhaps this morning would you reveal him to them so that they might have the hope um, that we have. We're grateful. We worship you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. So as the apostles are waiting, they come to um, a day and it is marked. Luke records the day intentionally. It says there in verse one, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they've been waiting, they have been praying. They've been doing what Jesus had instructed them to do, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that, that Jesus, the apostles had interacted with Jesus and had only interacted with the Spirit through Christ. And so you have the Holy Spirit at work and periodically Jesus would say to them things filled with the Spirit and he would send them out with the Spirit. But they had interacted with the Spirit only through Jesus. Now that Jesus has ascended to the throne, to the right hand of God, he is going to send his Spirit and they will now interact with Jesus through the power of the Spirit. And as they're waiting, they come to this day of Pentecost. If you're not familiar with Pentecost, it's a day on the Christian calendar, today a Christian calendar, but it's been a day on the calendar for a very long time. Um, a little bit about the history of this day. Pentecost was a day that was marked 50 days, or marked 50 days following Passover. It was at one point called the Feast of Weeks. It was described or, or, or a celebration of a week of feasting and celebrating. Um, before that, if we look back at Leviticus, we see sort of the original or the origins of this feast. It was known the Feast of First Fruits. Leviticus 23 records that for us. And what the Jewish people would do as they celebrated Pentecost, this day, 50 days after uh, uh, Passover, they would bring two loaves of bread and they'd be given as an offering. This was because 50 days after Passover sort of marked the harvest. They were giving thanks to God for his provision. Um, somewhat like we celebrate Thanksgiving here in America. There was a similar there, but this is a God-given uh, celebration and ordained according to the law in Leviticus that they would do this. And so the first fruits of the harvest, these two loaves of bread, would have been given to the Lord. And this celebration, as we see, and we'll talk about in a few moments even more thoroughly, brought the nations to Israel to celebrate Pentecost. And so on this day of Pentecost, now God is going to continue his redemptive plan that he started when he told them, hey, celebrate Pentecost. He's going to continue that. Because Pentecost had also become an anniversary of so. So in, in Jesus' day, Pentecost was the anniversary of the giving of the law, the celebration of the, the, that God gave his people the law on Mount Sinai. 
And so the day that once marked the giving of the law would now be marked, it would become after this Pentecost, it would now become the day that marked the giving of the Holy Spirit. Again, God's plan unfolding throughout time. What the law couldn't do, Jesus would do by the power of his spirit. And so God, we see him tracing this line. Just in that, friends, be encouraged. Sometimes we say to ourselves, we don't know what God is doing. We can't see him at work. We're wondering if he is even at work. These people, God's timing is something that we can't comprehend. To him, he is not bound by time. As one brothers have said, it's said in scripture to him, a thousand days is one day and one day is a thousand days. And so as he is weaving this story, writing this story of God's plan of, redemp- of his plan of redemption, he now takes this day on the calendar that had once marked something previous and he is using it to now mark the new gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together at one place and suddenly, suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And in verse three, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them. As they're waiting, they see two physical manifestations that let them know that God is doing something. The first that we see there is they see the wind or they hear the wind. Wind was known, by the way, to symbolize the spirit of God. If we go back to Ezekiel chapter 37, where the prophet is uh, told to prophesy over the valley of dry bones, these dead bones, Ezekiel, it says there in 37 verse 9, that he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. And so Ezekiel is told to prophesy over this valley that has just dead bodies in it. And he's told to prophesy over it. And as he does, the wind, the breath of God rushes over them and they are raised to life. They understood the symbolic, the symbolism that the wind, they heard this wind. Nicodemus, as he's interacting with Jesus, you may remember this story. He comes to Jesus and says, how can someone be born again? What do I have to do? And Jesus, they're having this interaction. And as they have this interaction, Jesus says to him, the wind blows where it will. Obviously not referencing just the physical wind, the wind that moves the leaves in the trees that we can look outside and see even right now. But no, this wind symbolizes the spirit of God. And yes, even at Jesus' baptism, John the Baptist said that there was one coming after him who would baptize with what? With wind and fire. And so the apostles, as they sit there and they're waiting, this gathering of, of, of new Christians, uh, they are waiting for the spirit and they hear this mighty rushing wind. They also see, while they hear the wind, they see the fire. Fire was also symbolic of the divine presence. You may be familiar with the story of Moses in the burning bush. In Exodus chapter 3, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. So the apostles, 
and all those gathered with them, they experienced this mighty rushing wind. It fills the entire house and divided tongues of fire appear to them and rest on them. They are not consumed like the bush, but these fire rests on them. And guess what? They are now filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The wind and the fire were evidence that God was in their midst. And he was. And in that moment, suddenly it says, God filled them with his spirit. Now here's something that is somewhat challenging for us. We just have to sort of wrestle with a little bit or just uh, acknowledge. If you have spent any time in, around the Christian faith in some churches, there's probably a reality that you've experienced or not experienced the Holy Spirit or, or teaching or heard reference to the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, is probably perhaps the most misunderstood, forgotten, and candidly, very often, abused person of the Godhead. God exists as one person, he is one God who exists as three persons. We are Trinitarian. Uh, We see that throughout scripture. We see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. I just referenced Jesus' baptism. At Jesus' baptism, Jesus was truly physically there, present with those. John was baptizing him, and as he was baptizing him, the Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove, and God the Father spoke and said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. We see this, and there are other references throughout Scripture where we see that God exists in three persons. He doesn't exist in one person three different ways. So just so we understand this, he's not God the Father and then he's done being God the Father and he becomes God the Son and then when he's kind of done doing that, he ascends to the right hand. Now he's God the Spirit. That's not how, how he works. He's too big, than, he's bigger than that. And because we can sort of grasp, we, some of us, our parents at least, we can sort of understand this idea of God being Father and we, that's not hard or as hard for us mentally to sort of make that leap or understand that, what that means. God the Son, we can recognize Jesus and his work on the cross. And so God the Son, again, makes sense to us. But when we come to God the Spirit, we can't see the Spirit. The wind blows where it may. There's so many challenges just with our own mental, just sort of our, our mind's ability to understand who God is as God the Spirit. But it is clear that God the Spirit is so vital to our work, our understanding of who God is and the ministry that he has given to us. Reality is everything you see right now, everything that you are experiencing is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Thomas, or Samuel Chadwick, a minister who long ago died, said this, the gift of the Spirit is the crowning mercy of God in Christ Jesus. It was for this all the rest was. The incarnation and crucifixion, the resurrection and ascension were all preparatory to Pentecost. Without the gift of the Holy Spirit, all the rest would be useless. The great thing in Christianity is the gift of the Spirit. The essential, vital, and central element in the life of the soul and the work of the church is the person of the Spirit. He's right when he says this, even though that sounds somewhat confusing to us. Are you saying that the work of Jesus, his coming, incarnation, his going to the cross, death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension would be, yes, because if not for the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't know any of that. Those facts, those events in human history would have taken place. Jesus would have come. And he would have died on the cross to atone for sin, raising three days later and then ascending to the Father. But we would not have any idea of that. Think back to your own testimony. If you're a Christian today, 
What has opened your eyes to know Jesus is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who reveals that that Jesus that we know of, who came and took on flesh, God the Son, to be like us and died on a cross, the reality is we only know that because of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has illuminated the scriptures, allows us to read and understand. And this is why Chadwick would say that the central element and the life and soul of the church is our understanding, is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Next week, as Peter interacts with these who are being talked about or being told the works of God through their various languages, he's gonna interact with that and we'll understand more about what the Holy Spirit is doing here. But one more quote from Thomas Goodwin. I've recommended to all of you one of my favorite books of the last couple of years is a book called Gentle and Lowly. It's written by Dane Ortland. It's for free in the Resource Center. If you've not gotten a copy of that book, let me just commend it to you. You just go out here, hang a right, and you look in there, you'll see a book called Gentle and Lowly. I bought as many of them as I could so you could just have them for free. All right, so take one only if you're gonna read it. But what Ortland is doing Yes, you caught that, only if you're gonna read it um, and then pass it on. But what he does in that book is he is interacting with a Puritan theologian named Thomas Goodwin about who God is and the person of Jesus. And he said this about the Holy Spirit, there is a general omission in the saints of God, the church, and they're not giving the Holy Spirit that glory that is due to his person and for his great work of salvation in us, insomuch that we have in our hearts almost forgotten the third person. And this is the reality. Now, the reason that some of that is in today, in our history is, and it's understandable in some ways, there are, as I said, many who have misunderstood the Holy Spirit and misapplied the work of the Holy Spirit in so way they've gotten so far off of who the Holy Spirit of the scriptures are that we have just sort of said, that is strange, that is not how God seems to work. And, and because of our fear and sort of anxiousness and our not being able to understand it, we just sort of say, I don't wanna deal with that. We just sort of shove the Holy Spirit off to the side. But we can't do that. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. We, again, the importance of the Holy Spirit in our life is so clear. Um, and so as we study and we look at this text, we can see and begin to understand, I hope, the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Again, it is the central element. He is the central element of our life uh, that began at Pentecost. And we can understand more as we look closely and so the Holy Spirit comes, it says in verse four, they're filled with the Holy Spirit and what do they do as they are filled with the Holy Spirit? They speak. The Holy Spirit comes and the apostles speak and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Notice that they are taken from a time of prayer. They're asking Jesus, more than likely, in their prayers, send your spirit to us. We want to get started in the work that you've given us. You've commanded us. You said that you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so because you are my, we want to be those witnesses, they're, they're asking. And so the Holy Spirit now comes. And when that happens, they begin to move from prayer to speaking. But not just to speaking to one another. They're not having a conversation with one another. It's not as if the apostles you know, learned a certain language, were gifted by the Spirit to be able to speak in a foreign language and they just started talking to one another. But no, what they began to speak of was they began to have the ability to speak about the work of God because they could speak in these other languages that were not their own. And so what is clear is that God sent his Spirit in order for them to have ability that they didn't really possess in their nature. 
Again, remember what Jesus had told them. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. A couple weeks ago, we focused on that verse for a few moments. But it's helpful to just, just remember again. Jesus had told them this. Can you imagine the confusion, the uncertainty? How in the world? You said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. How am I supposed to do that? How is that supposed to be possible? I, I don't have any ability to do that, Jesus. That's, they had, there, there, there was this wrestling with them that would have been natural for them to be confused and not sure how it would be that God would accomplish his purposes in them. No different than I expect. There are things that you know because the Holy Spirit has told you through his word, you know that you need to do today, you need to do tomorrow. And I'm not talking about your grocery list, by the way. I'm talking about big things. I'm talking about talking to your neighbor, about resolving that conflict, getting into re-engage so you can begin to strengthen your marriage, beginning to do whatever, having a, a, a conversation at work with a, a parenting conference. I don't know what the, all those things are, but there is, there is big things that God has called us to do as believers to testify to the work of God. And as we think about that, it feels weighty. And they must have felt that same weight. And then Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. And immediately, in the blink of an eye, they are able to testify to the works of God to people who have come from the ends of the earth. One of the challenges, brothers and sisters, as Christians, and sadly, this is a bit of the legalism that has crept into the church very often, the weight that we feel, we believe that the work that God has called us to do is to be done under our own strength. Because we don't understand the work of the Holy Spirit, we don't yield our lives to the Holy Spirit, we don't allow the Holy Spirit to work through us, we don't appeal and plead with the Holy Spirit to be at work, we go out trying to do great and mighty things for the Lord that we were not intended to be able to do on our own power. And guess what happens when we do that? We get exhausted, we get burnt out, we get fed up, we get frustrated. I told this story many years ago. My middle son was a cross-country runner. He was very gifted in that. And as we would begin to train and we'd work out and do, or he would do it, I just sort of watched and uh, <laughs> encouraged and cheered. I was a great cheerleader. But I want you to just imagine as he was young and I began to coach him and then surround him with other people who could speak sort of coaching you know, vibes into his life and kind of direct his path a little bit. Imagine I tell him, I encourage him to do all these things, to do all these things, and then every single race, he just finds himself exhausted and unable. Every single race, he just gets fed up. He's like, I can't ever get it done. So often, that's the Christian life. We've taken the word of God, and we've said, I need to do this, and I need to do this, and I need to do this, and I've got to accomplish this, and I've got to accomplish this, and I've got to accomplish this, and we try to do it all under our own strength and in our own power, and we do not yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And yet here, Jesus says, you will be my witness to the ends of the earth. I send my Holy Spirit. And guess what? They are witnesses to the ends of the earth in that moment like that. Jesus accomplishes his mission immediately because he sends his spirit to do the work. Jesus said, friends, that his yoke is easy. That doesn't mean we aren't gonna have challenges. That doesn't mean we're not gonna be persecuted. That doesn't mean there's, life is not gonna be hard. That's not what he's saying there. But the work of God the work of testifying to who Christ is and testifying to what he's done in your life, that, when you are filled with the Spirit of God, is not something that is a weight on your shoulders to accomplish, but is a joy and it is an overflow of his Spirit at work in you. 
Stop striving. Stop trying to do it under your own strength. God never intended for you to do that. That's why he told the apostles, wait. You won't be able to go to the ends of the earth until I send my spirit to fill you and to work through you. The spirit comes though and they speak. Notice though, again, he doesn't, they don't speak just to one another. The Holy Spirit didn't come simply for them, that gathered group, the church. No, the Holy Spirit came not to make them feel special, not to make them look wiser than the rest of the world, not to make them look more godly than the rest of the world. Again, no inward focus, but an outward focus. The Holy Spirit came not for the fame of man. This is one of the primary mistakes, again, that some sinful people misinterpreting and understanding God the Spirit have made with reference to his work, not looking and understanding what he intends to do. In places where this behavior is somewhat tolerated even and even celebrated. By the way, 1 Corinthians gives us instructions on how the Spirit is at work in us. I'm not preaching in 1 Corinthians, but come back for that series in 2027. All right? We'll deal with that more fully then. But what we can know is that the Holy Spirit does not come so that we can be elevated, so that we can sort of prop ourselves up. No, the Holy Spirit came. He came so that the work of God could be told, not for the fame of man, but so that the mission might be fulfilled. Again, look at what he says, what the Holy Spirit does. And Luke records this work of the Holy Spirit in verses 5 through 11. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they, these outsiders, were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? How is it this, this is happening? Pentecost as I said earlier, had brought the nations. All, not all, but many of the Jewish people had returned to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And God had ordained that this time that the nations would be brought to the apostles so that his work of reaching the nations could be done almost immediately. See, the work of the Holy Spirit was not for the fame of the multitude gathered, but so that others would hear the work of the Lord. And they were astonished, it says. You know why they were astonished? Because first, these were, it says, Galileans. Galileans could barely speak their own language, let alone the language of other people, all right? This was not the cream of the crop. This was not your Harvard-educated people. They were like me that can't even speak, all right? Simple. God uses the humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus says. Blessed are the meek. God uses the humble Galileans. And because of their humility, because they are not able and everyone in the world knew, there is no way those people understand and could speak in all of these different languages. They are amazed at the work of God. They know that it can't be anything that is humanly inspired or manufactured. This is clearly and only can be a work of God. When it's something that you know you don't have the ability to do, that's when you can know that the Holy Spirit is at work. It doesn't happen all the time, but it's not uncommon for someone to come up and say maybe after a Sunday morning gathering or maybe we have a cup of coffee together or something like that. And they'll, they'll say to me, they'll, they'll say, 
It's as if you were speaking directly to me. The, the, the word that you shared was something that I needed to hear directly. Let me just tell you, in case you aren't aware, I am neither omniscient nor omnipresent. If I ever tell a story and it sounds like he's telling my story, I promise I'm not tattling on you. I don't know. It's just, that's the, that's the way the spirit works. The spirit of God moves and he does things that we don't understand and we don't have control. And so when you're hearing those words, yes, it is a word directly for you because it's the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you. Candidly, it's not even about my words. I have uh, so often, this is just one of those weird, strange things. Remember when you said this, it was just, I needed to hear that. I never said that. I have no recollection of ever saying that. Let's go back to the tape and make sure I said that. But I'm glad that God spoke that to your heart, all right? That's the Holy Spirit of God. That's what happens. I just, I'm just tell, telling you that it sometimes happens that way. Every time I sit down to speak with someone before I meet with them, right over there on Sunday mornings before I step up here to preach God's word, I can tell you that I spend time praying, and my prayer is very simple. Holy Spirit, speak. Speak through me. I have nothing to offer you. I don't. I'm a Galilean, not really, but I'm like them. Simple-minded, not really that advanced. Went to school for a little bit. That's it. But the Holy Spirit can speak, and he does. And I don't do any of that. I don't say that so that you might think more highly of me. I want to call your attention to the work of the Spirit of God. Because the Holy Spirit comes not for the fame of man, but for the fame of God. Again, look what happens, what is recorded for us in verse 11. It says, all these visitors have come, both Jews and proselytes. Proselytes are those who have not born Jewish, but have been, become into the faith. It says, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty and the wonderful works of God. And as they hear the work of God, as they hear what they're telling, they have to ask themselves, what does this mean? They're forced to ask themselves a question. I'm hearing from God in my own language from people that I, have no, I know have no ability, natural ability to do that. How is this possible? How is it that I'm hearing from God? Well, it's because God, in that moment, intended that he would speak to them. Some of us, we can look back on our lives and we can remember those times where maybe you didn't know God, but you were pleading, I, want to, I, I need to understand God, I need, I, need you to, I need to hear from you. Pleading with God, asking him to reveal himself to you. Even that request, that prayer is a work of the Holy Spirit, that a stirring up in your heart to acknowledge that you don't have it all within yourself. That's what God does. Some of us have testimonies that we weren't looking for God anywhere and God just came and just smacked us upside the head and said, hey, uh, we're gonna have a little talk. Most of the time he did that through a neighbor, through a friend, a loved one, a mom, a dad, a coach, somebody in your life. But the Holy Spirit of God comes and he speaks, and he tells you, and so often, brothers and sisters in Christ, he is going to use us as we go into the world and testify to the mighty work of God, and people are going to say, what does this mean? How is it that God is speaking to me through you? This is what the Holy Spirit does. 
Paul, time out. The end of verse 13, he says, some of them thought they were drunk. Oh, what does this mean? They're filled with new wine. Now, I've never experienced a situation where people who are filled with too much wine are able to now speak in many foreign languages they didn't know before. That's never been my scenario. I've never experienced that kind of a deal. So I'm not sure exactly why they went there, but it can tell you how perplexed they were. They're like, I don't know how this is happening. This is so foreign. They must be drunk, right? And now Peter's going to deal with that again next week. We'll look at that. But they're so amazed that they, they, they resort to something crazy. Well, Paul... In Ephesians chapter 5, he is talking about the work of the Spirit in the church, the work of God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And he instructs the church, he says, do not get drunk with wine, all right? Don't get drunk on the real wine. That's debauchery. But what? Be filled with the Spirit. And as you are filled with the Spirit, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This weekend, our elders here at City Church spent a little time on a retreat. Um, We try to do that periodically where we can just pursue relationship with the Lord and strengthen our relationships with one another. Um, We gather together, and I can just tell you that... I know for a fact every single one of the elders of this church are men who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God because all believers are. And these are believers who have been walking with Jesus for some time. And so as men filled with the Spirit, we came together and we did exactly this. We addressed one another in song. We sang together. We prayed together. We wrestled with one another over the scriptures and over God's calling on our life and just how to shepherd and care for this church as faithfully as we can. Um, the Holy Spirit, um, I just want to worship him and give thanks. He met with us this last few days and we spent some good time together and with him. And we humbled ourselves. This is what the Holy Spirit leads us to do, giving thanks to the Father, submitting ourselves even to one another and showing reverence for one another. None of those things are natural, friends. The natural man doesn't do that. It's only a work of the Holy Spirit. As we did that, guess what? Just like happened here. Men filled with the Spirit, we spoke. Not for our fame, but for the fame of God. We heard from God and his fame in our own hearts increased. That was my experience and I believe the experience of all the brothers. And now as we just come back and this morning we're engaging in the work that he's called us to do. We're asking his fame to grow and continue. This is what God does. We're gonna respond this morning with a song, an old hymn that leads our hearts, I hope all of us, to marvel at the cross, to marvel at the work of Christ, to marvel that we can know that. And the reason we can know it the Holy Spirit has informed us. The Holy Spirit has revealed himself to us and he's called us together so that we could speak and testify to the work of God, confound the world with the message, the mighty works of God and see 
the world redeemed through that message. So let's stand. Let's sing. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, oh you say.